Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. This morning though, I'd like to read one verse of scripture. It'll be behind me on the screen. It's uh, one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible, and, uh, and, uh, and I always come back to it year in and year out. It's Daniel 11, verse 32. Let me read it to you very quickly before I explain it. It says this, But the people who know their God will be strong, and they will do mighty exploits. It's so short, I'll read it again. But the people who know their God will be strong, and they will do mighty exploits. Now, what's profound about this text, it's Daniel 11, verse 32. If you're unaware of the, the 11 chapters preceding this verse, the book of Daniel is like a, a wild, wild west movie. It is crazy. This verse in isolation makes a nice little postcard that you put on the side of your mantelpiece. Oh, great promise from God. But actually, it's on the back of some wild crazy stuff going on. Actually, the book of Daniel starts off with a whole bunch of of people, the Jewish uh, people being pulled into captivity out of their homeland to go and be uh, basically slaves in 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 an area called Babylon, a city called Babylon, a place that's so the epitome of Israel, that's got foreign gods, that's got a different way of life, has got everything opposed to the way they were grown up. They get pulled into that environment where they have their names changed, they have their identities changed, they're being pushed uh, different foods, they have to uh, almost they push different creeds, different ways of living. This is the, the start of this book called Daniel. And if you're unfamiliar, the story follows wild stories, such as these young guys called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who in response to this opposing way of living, they refuse to bow down to serve the gods that they serve. And because of that, they get thrown in a fiery furnace. This was one way of capital punishment. They're thrown into a fiery furnace to die for their crime of not submitting to the government's edict. So these three guys get thrown in the fire. But as the story goes, that actually they were so amazed because as the heat was turned up, these three guys did not disintegrate. They didn't die. They actually stood there unharmed by the flames. And not only that, a fourth man in the fire appears. And, 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 and we think that's Jesus who appears next to them in this fire. And because of this, the guys are so freaked out that they pull them out. And as, as the guards even went to, to throw them in, the guards were dying, but these three guys, were, were, they, they, were, they were unharmed in response to their obedience. Just this profound story. As you keep reading, there's a hand that writes on the wall at, at a government meeting. Just the hand of God appears and writes on the wall, judgment against the government. And the government freak out. They go call a civil servant, Daniel, a low-ranking civil servant. They call, you must come, you must come. And this guy gets favor that's not even due his, his, his title where he should be. But he gets to speak and interpret what's being written on the walls and speak truth to power in that moment profound stories. And as you keep reading, this man, Daniel, who seeks gains favor, then runs afoul of the, the government in a different way. And, uh, and he gets thrown into a lion's den, another form of capital punishment. And as I can imagine if you, maybe it becomes characterized in your head because we've been, we've heard it in children's narratives, Daniel in the lion's den. But if you think about it today, it's a capital punishment. It's as if a guy was strapped to an electric chair, injected with lethal, uh, a dose of lethal uh, venom that goes inside of him. And he just stands there smiling. And the hours tick, tick by. Nothing. Still nothing. You don't feel anything. No. Oh, wow, that's awkward. And he gets, it, it, that's the sort of thing that happens. He gets thrown in a lion's den. The mouths of the lions are stopped and they don't, they don't eat him. And the next morning he's still there alive. I'm still here. And he gets pulled out. And the man who threw him into jail, threw him into the prison cell, 
ends up giving his life to Christ. It's just this profound story after story of radical oppression and radical obedience and the radical hand of God. And as you keep reading, it's actually in the light of that we find the scripture that says, in light of all this, in light of a man who's known oppression, who's known the full weight of having the anger of the government against him, has having a whole nation saying, actually, we're going this way, but he's going, I'm going this way. He knows what oppression feels like. He knows what pressure feels like. And in light of that, he says, but if people who know their God, they will be strong and they will do mighty exploits. And as I read this, I realized that actually he is giving us, Daniel is giving us a manual on how to thrive under pressure, how to thrive under persecution, how to thrive under domination. So this morning I say, are you anxious? Are you fearful? Are you stressed out? Are you feeling beaten up? Are you feeling exhausted? Are you feeling at the end of your tether? then I'll ask you to lean in because I think Daniel's got something to say to us this morning. Because you see, as I read that text again and again this week and said it aloud to myself, I realized that actually there was something profound in what's going on here. He says the people who know their God will be strong and they will do mighty exploits. I realized that actually this is the antithesis of what the world preaches to us. This is the antithesis, the actual complete opposite of what every other religion on planet earth says to us. Every religion, including uh, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, secularism, most forms of, of, of moralistic Christianity say this is the way to success, is do something great, prove yourself. Once you've proved yourself and you've posted about it on Instagram, and people go, wow, look how amazing you are, then you'll be something, then you'll have a bit of an identity, you'll be known for something, and when you're known for something, then you'll be able to have peace, joy, stress-free, and actually an access to some form of deity or God. The world, every religion says, do something, prove it, then you'll be, and then you'll be able to get God. Every single religion has that formula, but Daniel says, I'm turning this on its head, and I'm saying it's actually not do, be, no, I'm saying it's no, be, do. And as I said it again and again, I realized that some of us could get caught up and think it's a new freshly ground song. But it's not. It's the way the Lord wants to speak to our hearts this morning. So let's pray. Father, I pray this morning with the simplicity but the profound, and in the same voice, the profound nature of this verse, unlock hearts to the fullness that you have for us. I thank you, God, right now for anxious hearts, for stressed out hearts, for emotionally depleted hearts. For people who are there feel beaten up by life, who feel under pressure and domination by, by things that are going around them and don't know where to turn, I thank you, Father God, with this voice declare truth to our hearts tonight, today, saying the people who know their God will be strong and they will do mighty exploits. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Very simply this morning, I want to preach through this verse. The first point will be on the screen behind me is this, the people who know their God know their God. Can you say no with me? Well done. You guys are good. Let me explain the very the original design. I've said this many times, but I think it's worth laboring for our own fickle hearts that forget so too often, is that the Bible begins with a God who is speaking earth into existence. He's speaking creation into existence. He's saying, let there be light and bam, light obeys. He says, let there be a separation between night and day and bam, night and day obey. He says, let there be land, boom. Let there be sea, bam. Just, it just happens. He speaks and it obeys. God doesn't even have to lift a finger. He doesn't have to move. He would just stand and go, light, camera, action, in as many words. And, and stuff would happen. 
No, not a, a, an ounce of sweat on him, not stress, not anxious, just speaking and things happening. And then the story takes a twist because actually it says then when he, for he in the day six, he creates man. He, decre- he creates the apple of his eye, the person who's going to carry his image into creation. But he doesn't say, let there be man. Boom. Which would have followed the pattern, would have made sense. He does something profound. In Genesis 2 verse 7, it says that God, who has spoken creation into being, and creation didn't even wait a millisecond before obeying, it says that he then does something different. He bends down low into creation, into the dust of the earth, and he starts to form with his hands man. It's so profound that we cannot miss this. And I will labor it again and again that actually creation was spoken, but mankind was formed by the hands of God. Mankind was formed by the hands of God. And I want to tell you, this shows us from the very get-go, the glimpse of a type of theology that God loves, is it's a God with His hands in the dust of the earth, His hands in the mess of creation, and He's molding and shaping something beautiful out of it. And as I was thinking this, we realized that actually that He is a God who's not wearing protective gloves. He didn't speak and say, okay, cool, Holy Spirit, Jesus, I'm going to make man now. You know those guys, they're so full of attitude put gloves on, and, and he, he wasn't like dealing with us as if, he, as if I am, when I'm in the shower and I found some, some hair that's not my own, you're like, Ugh. you know that moment, you're like trying to get out the drain, I, I, I freak out by that sort of stuff, I'm like, whoa, God's not doing that, he's not like going, ah, shape man, oh, come on, who's got a wet wipe for me, no, no, he's in the dust of the earth, grimy on his hands and knees, and with joy, he's fashioning man in his image. And then the culmination of this all is that when the man has been formed and the lifeless being lying there, the prototype man, God, does something profound. He puts his mouth upon Adam's mouth and he breathes his life, his very essence into, God, into Adam. The Zoe life of God is breathed into Adam and Adam becomes a living being. I've said it again, and I'll say it again, and again, and again, that the first face Adam sees is not a God far off with a long measuring stick saying, have you achieved anything? Not a God who's got a list of to-do lists for him straight away. No, a God who is, the first face that Adam sees is a God face-to-face breathing life and joy into Adam. This intimacy, I want to say from the get-go that for our very DNA, no matter where you're from or what you've done, your very makeup, your essence is that you were made in intimacy for intimacy. You are not a DIY project. You weren't some random clumping together of cells. You were made by the very hand of God for a purpose. And I love this sort of understanding is that as this journey goes and Adam sins and wrenches himself out of this, this intimate relationship because once he was formed, they, the Bible tells they walked, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day with intimate relationship, knowing one another, knowing God. They were naked and unashamed, nothing hidden between them in this close union. But then Adam sins and he pulls himself like, a, like a, a, my daughter does sometimes when she's a bit frustrated with me. She pulls her way out of, no, dada. I'm like, Wow, what's going on, lives? You know, but like a, a, a spoiled infant, Adam and Eve pulled themselves out of this union. No, no, God, we're going to do it our way. And shame comes and sin enters the world. But again, I want to say, what is God's response to this? God's response is not a God going, right, that's it. I'm done with you. The first thing God does was he comes and he approaches them as they hide in their shame. God comes out with a question saying, where are you, Adam? Not because he had lost them, not because he didn't know where they were, He's the creator of the universe, but because his heart is always pursuing mankind to come back for intimacy with him. Where are you, Adam? 
This is the story. This is our design. This is our makeup. So God made us to know Him. But when we read the Scripture, it says the people who know their God. What I want to wrestle down this morning is that it doesn't say the people who believe that there's a God. What I mean by that is actually believing is good, but even the Bible tells that even the demons believe and they shudder. Even the demons believe in God. They believe in Jesus. They know. They know all too well, but they don't know God. It says here, the people know God. The word know there is the, 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 the Hebrew word yada, Y-A-D-A. I want to introduce this word to your vocabulary, yada, Y-A-D-A. The word yada, the people who yada their God, what that means is not just understand from a, with a, 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 a mental concept, but yada their God means to see and experience their God. The people who know, a people who see and experience their God. Now, the word yada, if you want to know that type of word knowing, appears many times in scriptures. One of the first times it appears is it says, Adam knew Eve and they became pregnant. Adam yadded Eve, he saw and experienced Eve, and they became pregnant. The first time that word know is used is in that marital intimacy. It's quite profound. That actually, the, from the get-go, this word know is linked not just to intimacy, but it's linked to fruitfulness. That when you see and experience them, it's going to lead to fruitfulness. The next time it comes up, again, again in Exodus 33, a man named Moses says this, Moses said, teach me your ways so that I may know you, that I may yada you, that I may see and experience you and continue to find favor with you. Moses, a man that the scripture psalm says, Israel knew the works of God. They knew what God did, but said, but Moses knew his ways because Moses yadded. Israel just believed. Yeah, God's good, but no, Moses knew it. Again, another scripture in Proverbs, it says this, acknowledge, the word acknowledge, the root of it is yada. See and experience the Lord. Acknowledge the Lord in all your ways, and He will make your path straight. Uh, some, if you want to know, how, how, how am I going to walk? What's my future, God? I don't know. I'm wrestling with future plans. What's what God got for me in the future? I want to tell you, you're, you need to acknowledge God. Now, I think we quote that scripture, and we say acknowledge Him like a mental nod. Cool, I'll put God first. I'll start. I'll give some money to the church. I'll, you know, I'll go to church. Yeah, I'll acknowledge God. God's not looking for a hat tip. Thank you, sir. No, no, no. God says, acknowledge. He's saying, see and experience me, and I'll make your path straight. Yada. Turns this whole thing on his head. Again, another one, Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 7 to 10, says, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things, compared to seeing and experiencing him. Paul wasn't praying this all in prayer, saying, I consider everything rubbish compared to just believing in Jesus and attending church and nodding my head and mm, that's good and singing a song every now and again. No, no. Paul says, I consider everything rubbish compared to seeing and experiencing the face-to-face -face intimacy with God, knowing His breath inside me. A man named Jim Elliott, who I love and quote, a man who gave his life on the mission field for the sake of the gospel, writes in one of his diaries, he says, Oh, the fullness, the pleasure, the sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I don't know if you've ever used those words when talking about God. Maybe I, I remember I used to write those things that when I thought about when I first met Fiona, the, the excitement of being with Fiona. Ah! 
I don't know if you've ever written those words about God or see it, but this is the desire that God has for you and I. We would say, oh, the fullness, the pleasure, the sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I hope this starts to spark something in your heart. But you see, actually, what, 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 what happens is that actually we see in the Scriptures, we see that actually as Adam sinned and wrenches himself out of this, this union with God, this intimate seeing and experiencing, this yada relationship of knowing God, we see actually that actually he, that God has put in place a different way of experiencing Him. And actually, this limitation came into the relationship with mankind and God, where actually it was limited to a place where they had a, called the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. Where once a year, when we explain the tabernacle, two parts, the first part, the outer court, and then the, the, the first tent, and the, 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 the holy of holies, the, the holy place and the most holy place. And actually, once a year, the priest, the high priest, would go through this for the first tent, and then we'll go into the second tent where there was the Ark of the Covenant and the Place of Atonement, and the, and this, the presence of God, the, the, the very essence of who God was, was dwelling in that tent. And initially, Moses would go in, and it says all the people would stand outside the tent and watch Moses go in. And the people would watch, and the people would, they would know that Moses was going in and going to meet with God, and they were going, Go, Moses! Go, Mo! Meet, tell us what God is saying. They would know Moses is going in, but only Moses could go in and yada God, see and experience him. The people would go, go, Mo. What did he say? But Moses would know God in that moment. And actually the high priest would follow that, 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 that road out. And actually, uh, I said this before, but actually the people would wait. And sometimes we have narratives in the Old Testament that when, when the high priest would go in, it says that the glory of God would, would dwell there and the sacrifice was made. It says that the glory of God would fill that place. So much so that actually the priests who were ministering outside would fall flat on their face because the glory of God was so thick and tangible. But that word glory there is this word called Shekinah glory. The Shekinah glory. Now you might have seen some taxis with this word on the back of their thing saying the Shekinah glory. Or I don't know if you've seen that word before. Or if you've been around televangelists, they love the word, the Shekinah glory. It sounds cool. It sounds exciting. But the word Shekinah basically means the visitation of God. Now I'm up for that. That sounds cool. The visitation of God. So once a year, the people were waiting, go Mo! Go, high priest. High priest would go in, and if everything was good, everything is saying, this is what we've done, this is who we are, we're sinful, but we are doing this, then they'll be able to know God because the Shekinah, the visitation of God would fall. Shekinah is here. And as I said, Shekinah, no, is not a Beyonce's backup dancer. It's not. Shekinah is, is the glory of God in a visitation way. But what's amazing is that actually as we keep following the narrative of Scripture, the book, the New Testament begins, and the book of John says this in a profound way. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, the, speaking of Jesus, says, The Word became flesh and made Himself known to us. goes on again. The other translations say, The Word became flesh and tabernacled with us. Tabernacle, talking about, there's some reference. John is referencing something profound here. He says that actually the Word became flesh and now dwells amongst us. Not in a tent, but says actually dwells amongst us. So Jesus comes, and Jesus says, who is the glory of God, comes Jesus, Emmanuel, says, I'm going to make myself in, uh, I'm going to come and take up residence in your heart. So firstly, the amazing thing that happens here is that actually we see in the Old Testament, people were waiting and praying for, Shekinah's here. The glory of God is visiting don't move. 
Don't move. We don't want it to leave. But as we turn the page of the New Testament, Jesus, who is the glory, the fullness of God made known, he says, actually, I'm not coming with visitation rights. I'm coming to habit, inhabit you. I'm coming to live in you. I'm coming to take up residence in you. Now, why this is profound is that I think so often that many of us, we still settle with visitation rights Christianity. Where we say, actually, I'll see you, God, on the weekend. I'll see you, God. You know, God was really there this meeting. Now, I know there is a moment as we were speaking in worship, there's a time where God does make himself more manifest and more real. But actually, we have to understand that the new covenant declares that the glory of God now is not over there, not over here. It's actually within us. He inhabits us. Colossians says, this is the secret. The secret of the universe is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, this is so profound because that if, this, if you're a Christian here today, you then don't walk in and out of favor based on whether you're good or bad. You see, too often I know in my own heart, I, I sometimes swing this way where I think that God is pleased with me and then another day God is not pleased with me so he's withdrawn himself from me. So it feels like I, God is withdrawing himself from me because I'm not doing well. I'm not living up to the standards. But you know what the problem with that is? Is that actually we reduce Jesus or, or our Heavenly Father to being either Father Christmas, somebody who comes and visits us and checks the list, are you naughty or nice? Or we reduce him to the Godfather. Hey, let me see. Have you, have you, have you, are you measuring up? Are you doing okay? Actually, cool. Yeah, you're good. Okay, I'm going to let the let my favor, my glory rest upon you. Now you, can, now you can encounter God. And we have these moments and pockets of encounters when actually God says, no, you were made in the dust, not just to have a moment, cool, go away and wait until I come and see you every second weekend. No, he says, you were made to walk in the cool of the day, knowing me, seeing and experiencing me. I felt with confidence this morning to say that God is inviting us again, saying, will you be my friends? Friends of God. People who can walk with him and know him in intimacy. And, I, and as I was working this out very quickly, is that I realized that for me, the most consistent way for me to enter this and walk in this relationship is, is through a thing called the renewing of the mind. What do I mean by that? Romans 1, uh, 12 verse 1 says this. says, do not be conformed by the, by, the, by the pattern of this world. Do not be conformed by the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? So that you will know, test, approve, see, experience. That word know is yada, that you'll be able to know the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So actually, uh, what I'm trying to stress here is that actually I think the, for, for us is that we, we sometimes settle because the enemy knows that if he can win the battle here, thinking that we're in our fa favor, we're out of favor, that's based on my response, that's based on my doing, so the enemy wants to put on top of you all the time that actually if you do well, then you will be strong and then you can know God. But the renewing of our mind is actually saying, no, 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 no. That's the wrong order. I was told in church that Daniel 11 verse 32 tells me that the people who know their God, they will be strong. They will do mighty exploits. The renewing of our mind is learning. Why do I say the same thing? Some of you have been here for a while and say, I've heard Gabe tell us about Genesis, that the first thing that God, Adam saw was a face. Why do I say it again and again? Because you forget. 
You were made for intimacy. My heart forgets that I was made with a kiss, that my first embrace with God was not of a restrictive father, but a lover breathing his life in me. And this whole scripture narrative is Genesis starts with a kiss. Go to the last page, whether you're romantic or not. It ends with a wedding. He's coming back for a bride, which has always made me uncomfortable. I don't like being called the bride of Christ. But then I realized that the scriptures calls daughters sons, so we all okay. So get over it. But actually, we are called into this intimate relationship to know God. And this is not for a select few. This is, the, this is who we are. He says the people of God, not the high priest of God, not the elect few, not the, the really spiritual. No, the people of God will know their God. They will be strong. They'll do mighty exploits. And I think that we, you and I, we, I think we're settling, we, we, we're, being, we're not been moving in because we're still all working out who's paying the bill. Have you ever been to a lunch where you're not too sure who's going to pay the bill? You're like, they invited me, but are they, are we going to share the bill? Am I paying for lunch? So the, you're like, you're going, I really would like the steak, but I'm going to have the half portion of nachos. Just in case. You know that sort of thing. Christianity is like that. Because we're all still thinking, maybe I have to pay this. Maybe it's, I don't think it's fully paid. I don't think he's fully won the victory for me. So actually, I'm going to live in just lukewarm reality. I'm going to just live in, actually, I'm not fully going to trust because actually, I know God's good, but I don't know that he's good. Knowing comes by yaddering, seeing and experiencing. And the people who see and experiencing, Scripture tells us, point two, will be strong. I love this text because that scripture, I've heard it preached and butchered out of context, that out of the context of Daniel, this robust, robust people getting, almost getting slaughtered for their lives, being thrown in fires, thrown in lion's dens, opposing power, spiritual powers. This scripture is not written like a kumbaya to some average people. Like, hey, come on, guys, light and fluffy removed from the real world. Now, I want to tell you, the real world is hard. Anyone can say amen to that. Thank you, a few people. It's hard. There's pressures. There's economic stresses. There's, there's tension. There's, there's, there's ISIS. That are, there's all these things that are going on in out there world, but even in our personal world, there's all these other things that rage against our soul that are hitting us. But the Scripture says this. He says, the people who know their God. I love that the Scripture, I left it up the way I wrote it. The real way it's written. It's often not quoted there. It says, but the people who know their God. Why does it say the word but? I left it up there. Because actually, most times the quote just says, the people who know their God. As if it's some out there promise, just floating. No, it's written on the back of Daniel having a vision of the end of the world. Everything burning to the ground. <laughs> and he's sitting there going, oh my goodness. But the people who know their God. I love that. That's such a response. He says, we'll be strong. This is war type talk. And he's saying, and I love the fact he's saying they will be strong. Every time that word, the better way to translate it says, they will be strengthened. That's the, the proper rendition of that scripture. The people who know their God will be strengthened. And every time you look in scripture, it says the, 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 the command of God to be strong or the encouragement to strengthen yourself in the Lord, every time it's spoken in scripture, it's on the back of chaos. This is not now, this is now basically saying the people who know their God will be strong. He's saying despite their circumstances. They will be strong when everything else is falling apart. They'll be strong when everyone else is wanting to run away, when everyone else is selling out, when everyone else wants to take the easy way, when everyone else wants to just sit in bed and mope. He says, they will be strong. The people who've seen and experienced them, they will be strong. And I love this because this is not based on circumstances. 
This is based on identity of who we are. The best way I can explain this is found in Ephesians 6. You might not know it. Ephesians 6, the New Testament letter that finishes with this profound text of the armor of God. Talking about there's a war, there's a battle. But it starts before the armor. It says this, finally, brothers, Paul writes, strengthen yourself in the Lord and his mighty power. Another way to write is be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. But the incredible thing about that text there, about the text if you read in 1 Samuel 30, when David strengthens himself in the Lord, or in the Daniel text, Daniel 11:32, there's something that's profound. And I, I, I did study English at university. It's the one time I can use my degree. Here we go. But when I was reading this, I understand that this text, this command of God to be strong in the Lord, strengthen yourself in the Lord, it's written in the present continuous text. What I mean by that is saying you you will be strong, but you also will be strengthened ongoingly. The people who know their God will be strong or will be strengthened ongoingly, present, continuous. But something that's also amazing, it's actually in the, it's a passive imperative. Now, stick with me. I know some of you are like, I hated English at school. Thank you, Aiden. One teacher enjoying it. So Aiden, it's written in the passive imperative. But why, what passive imperatives are hard because it's hard to actually obey? Now, an active imperative is if I went, be quiet. You can do that. You can close your mouth. A passive imperative is when I'm saying something like, be strengthened, but you're saying, I can't do that in me. It has to get from somewhere else. Be strengthened. So it's a passive imperative. It's a command. When God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous, it's a passive imperative because you're going, I don't feel strong and courageous. I can't. F- Where's the strength coming from? Moses is dead. But he's saying, no, but it's a passive imperative. Why? Because the key in that whole text is says, strengthen yourself in the Lord. It doesn't say strengthen yourself, full stop. If it says strengthen yourself, oh, what a, how, how pitied we are because we'll all be beating our chests and going, come on, you can face this Monday. You can do this meeting. You're going to have to find this rent from somewhere. Oh, we can do it. You know, you can, you can close your mouth when everything inside of you wants to gossip about your colleagues. Oh, because they're saying all the, no, oh, I've got to do it. I've got to do it. This is not some stoic, stiff upper lip, like English, like strengthen yourself, lad. Pull yourself together. No, this is not what Paul's saying. Daniel's not saying those who know their God, they'll pull themselves together. No, no, he's not saying that. He's saying those who know their God will strengthen themselves in the Lord because they have yadad him. They've known him. They've tapped into a power that's not within them. But actually, so often we have removed ourselves from that because we're living with visitation rights. I need to get there and then I'll be strengthened. When he says, no, I've put it in you already. They will be strong for time's sake. The third part of the verse says, and they will do mighty exploits. Those who know, those who yada, see and experience them will be strong, present continuous, will be ongoingly strengthened, passive imperative. They will, has to be received from, from in the Lord itself. But they will do, those people will do mighty exploits. Daniel's take talking supernatural, powerful, radical things. I've got a friend, and I illustrate this best this way. A friend called Richard Gordon who um, lives in, in, in Redding, California. He works at uh, Bethel uh, Church there. But many years ago, he had, when, I, when I knew him before the Bethel days, um, he, he was a, a university student. He was doing his master's degree in engineering. He was a guy who had, um, he was studying his master's, I wrote it down, in encryption and decryption with the military. So this was a very clever guy. 
And uh, Rich Gordon at this time, he was a Christian. He was a, a churchgoer. We went to church together. And without being simplistic, I believe that his relationship and my relationship with God at that time was visitation rights. We, we believed God. We knew God. We know God. But I don't think we had understood yet that we could yada God, that we could know Him. So we, we were living typical teenage and young 20s lives of up with emotions, down with emotions, and in and out. But there was a moment where he had a radical encounter with God, where everything changed. We had a moment where the, the revelation of God, his mind was shifted from going actually visitation, Shekinah, to residential. God lives within me. I get to know God. I can see and experience him every moment, not dependent on my nature, not dependent on my doing, but on his ability to make himself known to me because God is reaching out and he's the one who pushes me together. He's the one who's always pursuing me. He's the one saying, where are you, Gabe? Where? God is always coming after me, so actually I just have to respond to him. He had this encounter with God, and there's something radical, because he was really struggling with his masters. He was struggling, because it was so hard that actually 16 people started his masters, two people finished. And he got to the stage where he was saying to his wife, I, I, I can't do this anymore. I've got, I feel like all my research has got, to, just everything comes to a blank. I can't grasp the concept. I'm trying to get through here for this decryption, encryption for the military. So he, he was a bit disheartened, he has this radical encounter with God. Now, we often separate, hey, spiritual, that's cool. That's the spiritual stuff. Good for you. He has this encounter with God where for seven days, seven days, my friend Richard, he, he was like a recluse. We didn't see him for seven days. He slept for three hours a night, and he shook under the power of God just for seven days. It doesn't happen all the time with him. Just at that moment, God was just shifting, saying, I've made you to know me. And as he knew God, he was oh, I get to know God. He had this dream one of those nights in the three hours. He had a dream. And I, and I wrote it down because I don't know this stuff. But he had a dream where he saw these three letters, ADV, 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 appear in his head. He was like, what is that? So in the morning he got up and he, um, he started to realize, oh, he heard in the dream, he heard the voice of God. What he thought God was saying, I'm giving you a solution for your telecommunications algorithm for your degree. Now, I don't know where you have that uh, uh, lens for that. But this is what happened. So he did not know what ADV was. So he went and Googled ADV. And ADV stands for Ad Hoc On Demand Distance Vectors, which is used for wireless communication. And that became the cornerstone of his thesis. That little, that little ADV thing opened. It was the key that unlocked his whole thesis that understood, actually, this is how it works in the military. And because of that, he actually published a book on it. This was about a decade ago, and he was invited to military conferences around Africa. He came face-to-face -face with the, the, high, the, the, the Defense Force Minister of India and of America, and he sat at a conference where he was sitting waiting to give his presentation. And Rich Gordon, if, if you know him, you'll understand, he's got dreadlocks. He does not own a smart shirt, so when they said a smart casual, this is my friend Richard, he wore a T-shirt with a tie printed on it. But he was there sitting there nervous and sitting there going, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? What am I doing here? Because one guy said to him, hey, Rich, what is your, hey, hey, hey son, what is, what is your clearance level? He says, I don't, don't have one. He's like, what am I doing here? I'm this fish out of water, this military conference. And yet he got up and he speaks about this ADV and, and he speaks about this, this thing, this, this, this link that actually his thesis, which he had been given in the presence of God, that was unlocked by the presence of God. I don't know if you have a grid for that, but my grid is this. The people who know their God will be strong and they will do mighty exploits. And can I tell you what I love about the do is that actually increase starts to fill your life and the doing starts to just flow out of the knowing and it becomes effortless. They actually, I'm going to reap where I don't, I don't even sow. 
How, how does this play out? Well, you see the man named Peter. He's walking along the road, and uh, he's the man that's, that walks with God. He's known God. He's known Jesus. He's believed in Jesus. Yes, yes, yes. He denies Jesus, but then Jesus restores him on the beach, and in that moment, he knows God. He yudders Jesus, experiences him, sees him, and everything changes. He starts walking this relationship out with Jesus. Jesus rises from the dead, ascends into heaven, says, Peter, I'm leaving it with you and the church. He starts to walk, and Peter, in Acts chapter 4, they heal some people, and uh, people throws the whole town into uproar, and it says that these are ordinary, unschooled men, but it says, comma, but they have been with Jesus. It's beautiful. The amazing thing is the very next chapter, chapter 5, They've been praying for people. It says Peter from that moment just walks on. It says a shadow falls on someone. Someone gets healed. I'm like, what's going on there? Now, I'm not trying to build up a ministry or new like theology now. Our shadows are going to heal. No, no, God does what he will. But I, what I do know is that actually when the people who know God, when, when you've known your wife in intimacy, I don't have to now drum up my ability to make that baby come out. The baby is now God's deposit of that intimacy. Uh, maybe I'm getting a bit all over the show here, but I, I really believe that actually there's an increase on our life when we respond to knowing God. And God is wanting to shift the ceilings. I felt this week I was praying, shift the ceilings on our relationship with Him so we can have a real impact on the world. Not just a quick impact, but a lasting impact in the business realm. I'm praying for business solutions to flow effortlessly in job situations and moments of tension at work when actually I'm not the HR guy, but I've got the what's going on here. I know what's happening. Where did that come from? Because we've seen and experienced, we know God. I land with this little story. It's in the year 1998. Um, there was a company that was a world-renowned company, but it was making 877 million U.S. dollars a year. By the end of that year, they'd moved from making 877 million U.S. dollars to making 9.2 billion dollars in one year. They said, what is the change? When they asked this company, they said, the change is we got a new marketing firm. And they changed our slogan to one which just had three words. It says, on the back of those three words, it ignited a nation, ignited a, a, a world economy, and put us at the forefront of it. And it said, it moved it from 877 million to 9.2 billion in a year. They said three words. Those three words were, just do it. The company Nike was turned around because a marketing man saw, actually, I'm going to tap into the hearts of mankind, that actually there's a passivity in mankind, there's a, a laid-back nature in our hearts that actually we will we'll never be able to do it, so we all just fall short always. We live in this, this frustration of our lives. When Nike taps and says, actually, we're going to tap into that and say, just do it. I, I want to say today and claim that phrase for us this morning and say that actually I believe there are many unwritten books, ministries, businesses, friendships sitting in this room because we've disqualified ourselves from walking into what God has. And I just wrote down here that I think regret is poor company. Regret is poor company. Sitting on opportunities and invitations. This is not uh, an edict from God. This is an invitation from God saying, the people who know me will be strengthened and they'll do mighty exports. There's an invitation here for us to know God and to say, God, I'm going to shift into that relation. I'm not going to stand at a distance with visitation rights. I'm going to move in with that faith. Because actually, I think too often we sit and I've done, I've been guilty of this. So we say, God, God, I need a word from you. And God says, and I need action from you. So this morning, I, I would love to pray for us. I'd love to land this moment with just a simple prayer. Because this word is not sealed now in this moment. This word is sealed in how we apply it and walk this out and say, God, will you renew my mind? 
Would you change the way I think? Would you change the way you think that actually you're saying that I'm a person, a people who know their God will be strengthened and they'll do mighty exploits. That is the word of God to you this week. It's the word of God to you this year. Would that scripture settle on your heart? Because God will take us into the deep on this journey. So why don't we stand to our feet, please? Love to pray. I feel to land with this phrase that God is here. And his question to you and I is this, where are you, Adam? Where are you? Where are you, Paul? Where are you, Craig? Where are you, Jason? Where are you? And he's just using names. God is using your name. He knows your name because he created you. He, he shaped you, poured his breath inside of you, called you alive and said, the people who know me. So maybe you're here and you've been running from God. Maybe you're here and you've been apathetic towards God. Or maybe you're here and you've, you say, I, I just, I believe in God, but I want to know Him. I want to know Him. Can we lift our hands to Him this morning as a sign of surrender, as a sign of, God, we need you. Father, my prayer for us as a people, would we be a people who know you? I thank you, Father God, would this word yada be burned into our psyche? Would yada be burned into our hearts? Yada, the invitation of God to see and experience you. Every other religion says, make your way to God. But you said, I'm coming to you. And you've come to us, not for visitation rights, but to inhabit our lives. Give us encounters that would set us up so that we can do mighty exploits, so that we can be strengthened ongoingly. No matter what the circumstance, but I thank you, Father, it starts with knowing you. I pray right now every single heart would fall in love with you, Jesus. Would we fall in love with you, Jesus? I pray right now in this, in this moment that you're awakening hearts to encountering you, awakening hearts to encountering you. Religion is gone. I pray right now would you sweep out religious responses in our hearts, religious responses that hold you at a distance, that hold you according to our list. When you say, I can do anything, I am God, will you come and know me? For Israel knew God's works but Moses knew God's ways. God, would you be able to say that about me? Would you be able to say that about my friend Etienne? I pray right now, God, a man who knows you. But God, there's an invitation today to know you, to yada you. I pray that over Etienne. I pray that over him, God. I pray that right now, a man who would know you in the depths of his soul. I thank you, Father God. Awaken, 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 awaken desires that are there, but awaken them, God, afresh. I pray awaken wells that have been laid dormant. I thank you, Father God. You'll awaken our hearts. I pray for Shirley Pearson. I thank you, God, a woman who the wells are being unlocked. The, the ceilings are being taken off of her right now, God. You're saying, Shirley, come away. Come deeper and come deeper in. That actually, she's saying, I need strength to care. No, God, you need to know me. You need to know me. Strength will come when you know me. Mighty exploits will come when you know me. I need to do big things. No, you need to know me. You need to yada me. I declare this over every single heart here. I thank you, Father God, that you're stirring our hearts afresh. There's just something here in this word that's not religious, that's not standard, that's not just let's go with what's the next preaching thing, that actually this is for us, an invitation to know you. I thank you, Father God, would you do this by your spirit, put this desire in our hearts afresh, and Father, with this desire, would we now do it, not in a works-based way to prove it, but to receive it, or say, I'm, gonna, I'm going to press in, I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lean in, I'm going to open your word with faith so that I may see and experience you. I thank you for this in Jesus' name over every heart. We are a people who are made to know you. I declare finally, the people 
who know their God will be strengthened and they will do mighty exploits. I thank you for the fruit of this word. It'll take root in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.